Welcome to Quill and Ink, a podcast for book lovers, hosted by Jenna Green and Miranda O. Oh. They will be speaking to authors of many different genres to explore themes around writing and storytelling. Join them for engaging and intellectually stimulating conversation with artists from all corners of the world. Welcome to Quill and Ink. My name is Jenna Green, a YA fantasy author, author of the Imagine series and the Reborn Mark series. Beside me is Miranda O, oh, a contemporary chiclet author, author of the Chin Up Tits Out series, and she has the honor of introducing our guest for today. Hi, Miranda. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. This is one of my favorite humans alive. Um, and we get to interview her today. So Christy Stratus, she's an award-winning uh, writer who holds a degree in English literature. So she's like super duper smart. And um, she's the author of The Anatomy of the Darkened Heart and Brotherhood of Secrets. Now she has also written short stories, poetry, and various anthologies. And she's gotten them all published. So she has her hands in everything. And just a little side note, um, she actually edited my latest book. So um, I, that was like the best. That was the best. I have to just say that was the best experience ever. So on top of being an editor and writer of a whole bunch, she's an avid reader of all genres and world literature. Now, Christy reads everything from bestsellers to classic indies. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. I am envious of you. So thank you for joining us and welcome to our show today. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. I'm really excited to be here on your show. We are excited to have you. Now, first things first, let's start at the beginning, where it all began once upon a time. When and how did your writing journey begin? Well, it began all the way back since when I could write. And like when I first was able to write, I really started writing at such an early age. And um, I started with poetry, actually, which I still write today. But um, I did start with poetry and then moved in the opposite direction, you would think instead of poetry, short stories, novels, it was just from poetry all the way to novels, <laughs> and then back to short stories. <laughs> we so are just bit. the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so Except great. you're good at poetry and I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but I went from poetry to novel series so yeah isn't that funny yeah you wouldn't expect it but yeah that's just how it works so you know that's that's what I did and I still write all of them to this day a lot better than when I first started <laughs> so you know I I write pretty much everything I write flash fiction and microfiction, and I you know I write a lot of different genres but mostly suspense at this point that's pretty cool. And what draws you to suspense? I'm just curious to go on a tangent here because, you know, Jen and I definitely have our niches and the fact that you're just scattered all over the place, again, is a piece of envy. Like I just like, oh, when it comes to Miss Christy Stratus. <laughs> you're so sweet. So, yeah. Sometimes like, I've heard other people say this and it can be difficult in terms of marketing, but pretty much once you found your audience, people are usually interested in whatever you're publishing. So, you know, unless it's like way off base, you know, way out there. But um, yeah, in terms of suspense, I would say I just I love fast paced things of things, any kind of book. Um, short stories, any any length piece that really moves, you know, so I find myself drawn to thrillers and suspense. It doesn't matter what kind of suspense, if it's psychological, if it's domestic, it doesn't matter. But, um, you know, psychological thrillers, anything like that. And um, I love the, the depth of it, the tension, and when it really moves, you know, one of the things that I find difficult is 
slow pacing, too much description, things like that. So some cat- some categories of um, writing are a little bit tricky for me for pleasure reading, not so much for editing. Those are such different kinds of reading. But um, yeah, that's kind of what draws me to writing suspense most of the time. I like that. You said that very well, and it kind of threw off a light bulb. I was reading um, a suspense novel for uh, one of our other Creative Edge authors, uh, Liz Butcher, her her new book. And she's like, you read this for me. Tell me what you think. And I'm like, yeah, let's do I was sitting at my computer day in and day out with my face like inches away from the screen. And my partner was like, are you cooking? I'm like, shh, don't talk to me. I am reading right now. And he's like, you have been on your computer reading that book for days. I'm like, I don't care. I don't read fast, but I'm like, I don't care. This is so good. It was just such a page turner. And it's like, what draws you to a book? Everybody's a little bit different, but from a writing point of view, I bet that's just so like your fingers probably can't tight fast enough when you're in the heat of it. And the same thing, my eyes don't move and my brain doesn't function that fast is I just want to keep going and going and going. Definitely agree with that. It is, it's, it is kind of like that when you're writing, of course, you always hit those spots where you're trying to work things out. But even so, sometimes you're like, I just want to get past it. And then you just skip it. And you just write the next (laughs) section because it's too much. You know, you just want to get it all out. And it it is exciting. It's just as exciting to write as to read. And um, it can be sometimes difficult to edit those parts in the way that like, you're still excited. So it's hard to focus, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, there have been I think the last book that I could not stop reading was an anonymous girl by Sarah Pekinen. And I'm forgetting the other woman's name. But um, that they are a team, they're a duo, if only I can remember her name. But (laughs) they're a duo who writes uh, suspense books. And that was my favorite of theirs. And it's just exactly like you were saying, you were reading on the computer, I had this paperback and everywhere I went, I was just like, I can't stop, you know, and I had to know how it ended. And I, I tore through that, you know, that was oh, over so no good. time. Right. It's just the best feeling when you sit down and you get that book and it's like, you're watching an action movie play out in front of you. You know, I'm old school. I really do like having a paper, like paper to flip and a book to close when I'm done. Um, so it was very different for me reading on the computer uh, or even like on your cell phone. Like it just, it's just such a weird thing, even though that's just the new way of doing things or a Kobo or a Kindle or whatever those things are called time out of the times. But having that paper and like flipping through it and you're like, and then you're like, Oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. Maybe I should go to bed, but you don't want to go to bed. You want to see where it takes you next. So I don't like the Kindles cause you can't take them in the bathtub. That's 90% <laughs> of my reading. But that the whole idea of like when you're writing and you get those, those pot, my husband can tell when I'm writing, like if, if there's like an action scene, I'm like, and then other times I'm like, mm, mm. and he's like, you're describing a tree, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not as thrilling as I think. Yeah, there but are definitely parts that aren't so fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And those are the parts that people whip through and don't think about, but really add so much value to the story, right? So you've got to get through those tough times to get through the the exciting moments, the car chases. Of, the tree of, is important. The tree is important. Now, let's talk about a little bit more of other important things that you do. Like you edit, you write, you host, like you I do it all. I think I've said that 17 times in the last five minutes. Um, how do you juggle so many roles and duties successfully in my mind? 
Yeah, it's it's not always easy. I mean, like, you know, obviously the writing has to come usually last uh, because the other things have deadlines. So I, you know, I co-host Lurking for Legends every Tuesday. Obviously, that's I have just so you guys know, I used to be a project manager. So this is kind of like what I do in a way. <laughs> this is what I used to do in the corporate world. Um, I did quit that job and now I'm an editor full time, but I did take a lot away from it besides the immense stress. <laughs> I took a lot of really good things away from it. And part of that was definitely time management. Um, sometimes the multitasking is great and, you know, I'm getting like 12 things done at a time and I can say, okay, I need to share this uh, across multiple platforms and here's how I'm going to do it. Bam, bam, boom, it's done. And then other times it's like your focus you're so used to multitasking that your focus is like how do I just put on the blinders you know so there's always kind of a downside to everything right and a big upside to everything but um yeah I pretty much I I wake up early to write so I give myself anywhere from an hour to half an hour to write and um, I'm a pantser so I'm just you know just going uh, I do a discovery first draft and whatever comes out comes out I do not try to fix it it took a lot of learning from me because I used to my perfectionist side would come out so hardcore and I'd start editing, editing, editing. And it was a huge mistake. I'd never get anywhere. Half the things you edit in a first draft aren't going to make it to the second draft anyway, or the final draft. So, you know, that, that helped me move a lot faster and I've been um, able to finish things faster that way and publish them faster. So that's great. And then the editing side, of course, I have to set aside blocks of time where I can really focus and really get into the story and do, you know, my style guides and my, you know, um, my um, organization. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word, but I'm forgetting it. Book map type of stuff. That's what I'm trying to say. Because um, you have to focus on that. But it is a matter of like chunking time. And sometimes it's a matter of setting a timer and saying, this is how long I have for this period. I have to stop at the end of that. And I can't work on it anymore today, no matter how much I want to write more. It has to stop at 8am. You know, that's it. <laughs> so that's a big uh, thing that has helped me do kind of everything. I like that. And, and working in the corporate world like you and having to multitask um, is such a great life lesson to take into your, your next chapter, your passion projects or whatever, you know, whoever's going to call it. Right. But um, it's funny just listening to you say that I, I thought of one thing. It was like when you have a million tasks or 20 tasks on your task list, you can get all of them done. When you get one task on your task list it's like me it can't wait until tomorrow or later it's you know it's me to a t yes yes <laughs> i'm listening i'm like man like i wonder what <laughs> how productive we would all be if we just had one thing to do on our to-do list every day versus you know the 12 things that you're constantly working on and then bam you get them all out and you're like holy it's 8 a.m and i'm done that but um it's cool that you block out two hours or, or sorry, or blocks of time. And I love the fact that you give yourself that 30 to 60 minute writing block as a panther. Like I, I, my first books were very much like that. Now my second series is not, it's the opposite where I feel like I have to plan a lot more in order for me to, when I actually get to the writing, then I can just like vomit it out and it just comes out and, and you go from there so um it's really cool to kind of see I'm like okay she does this and I kind of do this and like that makes me feel like I'm doing something you can right. be the plotter she's a pantser and I'm the planter 
plants or <laughs> I'm, I'm the hybrid i'm yeah semi-planned but we never follow the plan and i'm only planned one chapter ahead and <laughs> be in the i cannot plot for my life I, you know what, you, when I'm ready to get my book edited, you're going to see if I can plan for my life. <laughs> it's going to have to happen. And it's going to be it'll be juicy. But it's it's such a different writing experience. And like you said, it, it took you so long to learn the maybe the hard way or the, you know, the creative way through it it's like okay i need to just write it out and see what happens from there and see how how it comes out and you're right as i'm planning this i'm like there's only so much that you can plan before you're actually starting to constructive write and you're i'm like i don't want to do this this is creative like it's a creative process not a structured process we're not working with lego here we're working with beautiful words and swirlies and this that and bacon fat so anyways i want to talk to you about your reading because again there's a lot that you read not from an editing point of view but just as a leisure point of view um how do you or sorry what kind of stories first of all what kind of stories do you like to read and to you what makes a story stand out or what makes a good story that stands out for you so if I'm going to pleasure read something it has to be something like I said before it has to be fast paced so it can be any genre but if it's um, if it's slow, you know, I, I just I don't have the time or the patience. Like I'm reading all day, you know. That's my that's my day job. I am an editor for my own business. So by the time I'm pleasure reading, I really want something that is moving really fast, you know, good fast. And there can be, of course, details and things like that. But you know, the story is moving along. There isn't too much of a downtime where we're sort of like, all right, when's when's the next exciting thing going to happen. You know, I don't have the patience for that at all. So whatever it is, um, I do, I have been reading lately, um, more historical suspense and suspense and thriller. Surprise, surprise. I just really like them, but, um, I will read anything. And, um, that's really the mark of something good for me, even if it's something that let's say it's literary fiction and a lot of people, a lot of the time that gets a bad name. Right. But, Actually, if the tension is there, which it can be between characters and in relationships, um, women's fiction, a lot of people might think, you know, sometimes, oh, well, maybe it's a little bit slower than other things. Well, if you have the relationships and the tension and the situations really drawn together tightly and everything is moving along quickly, you get the tension, you get the the readers, you know, thinking of questions in their minds, sort of, of what's going to happen next and how they'll get out of it, how, they, how they'll be impacted by it, things like that that is a good read, you know, and it really doesn't matter what the genre is. You can have a very dull thriller if you don't write it well, just the, uh, the, the genre doesn't make a difference if you don't write it well. So, you know, those are kind of the things that I look for. And like I said, I, I read everything. We uh, both have those, uh, those darling English degrees. Um, do you ever kind of have those flashbacks or like of having to read those classics where, you know, the authors were paid by the word or paid by how many uh, entries they had in the newspaper, or whatever. So sometimes they're just writing to stall and it's like 90 words on a doorknob. And you're like, oh, <laughs> do you ever have those those moments of, oh, 
Definitely. I do. And I'm trying to look up really fast. Yeah, it was um, this book called Can You Forgive Her? It's an Anthony Trollope novel. I think that's the one that I want to mention here. Yeah, it was originally a series. Well, it was part of a series. And I think that was the one that I'm thinking of that was serialized originally, like you're saying, in the newspaper or a magazine, whatever it may have been. And for that reason, it's drawn out quite a lot. And, um, you know, whereas it might have been good otherwise, I hope I'm thinking of the right one. I know it was Anthony Trollope. <laughs> it's just a matter of which Anthony Trollope. Um, you know, part of the problem was that he would kind of have to remind people what happened in the last one a little bit and like sort of pick up from that and um, and keep that going into the next serialized edition. And then so you're wasting some time on that and then you're into the new one and there's some stuff going on. But there's so many reminders, you know, it definitely gets slow, it gets a little bit boring. Um, you know, so definitely those serialized ones, of course, back in the day, the writing was utterly different. You know, you were, right. you did describe things in a big chunk, you know, like when somebody enters a picture, you say he was six feet tall, he had blue hair, he had, you know, or blue eyes and black hair. Back then they didn't do blue hair and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. What was he wearing? How did he walk? Like all that stuff. And it was expected to be that way. So if you can't handle that, it's obviously very dull. But even back then there were some uh, authors who were ahead of their time. You still have to do Austin. Yeah, Jane Austen, um, oh, Guy yeah. de Maupassant, he's a French author. He wrote Bella Me, if you're familiar. That was way more fast-paced than most of his time. You know, so they're out there. We just don't get the chance to read them in school, which is not so great. <laughs> not so great, in my opinion. I wish we'd read that exciting stuff. I studied all the classics, and some were very fast-paced. And uh, But I just remember the Iliad, where there's like, I think it's like 30 or 40 pages, and it's the catalog of the ship. And it just for 30 pages, it says, so-and-so, son of so-and-so with this many ships and this many men. And then they do that for 30 pages. And I I just skipped it. Um. <laughs> Same with Beowulf, right? Beowulf is loved by a lot of people, but there is an area that's just son of, son of, son of, son of, right? And uh, that part is dull, but the rest is much better. But those are the yeah. conventions of the time, you know? It's, it's Things have changed so much. You could never do that today. You just couldn't get away with it. <laughs> I don't know. I read Atonement a couple months ago, and I was 200 pages in, and it was the same day. And like two hours, I was, and my husband's like, what's happened in this book? I was like, nothing. And my aunt's like, the movie's really good. I'm like, eh. but the thing about writing is there's so many different styles, genres, lengths, strategies, but everyone likes something different. I mean, my sister loves Stephen King and I've never made it past three pages in. So there's, yeah, a, there's, a, there's a niche for everyone. There's a strategy for everyone. There's an audience for everyone. Uh, sometimes the marketing, as you said earlier, is a little tricky on how you're going to market it um, and and publish it under certain j venues and things. But there's a there's a there's a there's an audience for you. It's just it's out there. That's exactly right. Even more slow paced things. Sometimes some people will find it comforting in one way or another. So you know, it's not that you can't do that. It's just that you may have a very specific audience. My husband doesn't like anything I've ever written because there are no explosions. <laughs> Not once. And whenever I ask him for advice, he just says, put in an explosion. I'm like, well, you know, if you're writing a medieval fantasy, he's like, explosions! 
<laughs> so I, I did want to ask you, you mentioned this earlier and it's been bugging me because I'm the one that is known as to, to out of the Miranda and I, um, I'm the one that knows like the literary terms, but you said you write flash fiction, which I do know, and then microfiction. And I was like, oh, I don't know that one. Uh, I so, was thinking uh, the same thing. I was like, I wonder if Jenna knows these terms because uh, I don't. <laughs> well, I ha- I've written flash fiction, not well, but I- I'm pretty. It's either, and she's gonna tell us in a minute. But it's either under 500 words or 250 words. I can't remember. And, th- and then I was like, well, wait. If they're only 500 words or something, what's my how short? Is it like a line? Is it like a paragraph? So I'll just let her <laughs> a haiku poem. <laughs> haiku. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. I know. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, flash fiction, it's flash fiction and microfiction. When you look them up, you find actually different word counts. So it's kind of like you can never really put your finger on it. it's definitely this, but typically what I understand is flash fiction is a thousand words or less, which I thought it was less than that when I started writing it, but it's a thousand words or less and then microfiction is like, you know, a lot of times it could be a hundred words or something. I've seen uh, microfiction contests for 50 words, you know, things like that. So it's very, very short. Every single word has to count. And it's a really good way if you're a writer to sort of, if you find yourself having trouble um, writing succinctly, this is the way to train yourself. Like for if you can force yourself to write to a prompt or anything along those lines um, with, you know, 50 words or a hundred words, you'll find yourself like type it the way you normally would let it be however long it is, and then start taking it apart. Do I really need this? Is it actually necessary? Can I learn this in another way? Can I mix these thoughts? All that kind of stuff. Is this word choice actually serving me or is it just kind of going on and on? You know, am I saying the same thing twice? You know, and you would be surprised how much you can pick apart your work. Yay, yes. <laughs> me too. I, I can see it would be a great writing exercise, but as someone that tried for years to be a poet and every rejection I got was you're too wordy you're too prosy you you know they're too long and then I was like oh I was meant for novels to and I can't even write a short story to save my life but to go back and try and get it in like oh that would be an interesting chat I did write a flash fiction story once where uh it was like this it sounded like this epic battle but really it was just like trying to kill a spider which I thought was funny but but it, it it's it's a good thing to point out that you know, maybe microfiction and flash fiction, not everyone has to write as like a career. It can, you can write and just have things as like an exercise, um, practice, a strategy. Exactly. This is my kind of microfiction, just excessively <laughs> long. That's lovely. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. You know, my, my biggest challenge with that kind of thing, flash fiction and microfiction, was I uh, I wrote a piece of Victorian suspense flash fiction. That was tough because I'm trying to fit in enough relevant uh, historical details to place it in the Victorian era and everything and not overwrite that thousand words. That was that was tricky. <laughs> you know? How did you go about, just curious, because we've talked about this on the uh, in the past on our show, um, when it comes to writing a historical piece like that, what was your research process to make sure that you're getting the facts and setting the scenes um, correctly? Yeah, that's a great question. So my research, obviously, you know, a lot of people say, I got this from Wikipedia. And of course, we all know that that's a site where you can edit it yourself. People do it all the time. 
when they don't like, yay, Mickey, <laughs> um, <laughs> when they don't like what, uh, when somebody like a public figure has done something that they don't like, we all know that they head straight to Wikipedia and put something mm-hmm. rude about them. <laughs> so that just kind of proves to you, yeah, how, uh, how Wikipedia is easily altered. But it is a good place to start. This is something that not everybody realizes. If you're having trouble finding a historical detail, you can always start with Wikipedia to get an idea of what you're looking for. Sometimes you don't even know the word that you're looking for. You're just like 1860s lighting, something in lighting there. <laughs> I don't know what it is, you know, and you start there and you find out some, you know, name or detail and then you take it out of there. And um, this is where it's really ideal if you have a primary resource, which would be, for example, I have cookbooks of the time, you know, I have an 1850s cookbook, I have an 1850s dictionary, Um, you know, things like that really go a long way to helping you with authenticity. Um, You know, when you another way is if you happen to be using Wikipedia, go down to their sources and use that stuff instead, like not the actual that Wikipedia says. Yeah, you can find lots of stuff. And I do buy um, like magazines and things like that of the time so that I can see what really was the case. It's amazing the amount of information that's forgotten. And I have like a couple of like a decade or a couple of decades of this magazine called The Delineator, which was around at the time. And it's no longer around. I think it closed in like the 1930s. And so when I flip through there, I see what kind of dresses they're trying to sell to women. I see that, you know, what, what, uh, you know, social status they probably were. And the cool thing is the extra cool thing, I guess I could say (laughs) is that, um, you know, they have these articles, for example, there's one about calling card etiquette. Like, where are you going to find such detailed information as in this particular year? How are the calling cards working? You know, uh, ladies luncheon stuff in the summertime. It's very, Ooh. very specific. So that's stuff that's hard to find, especially when I write Victorian America as opposed to England. So like mm-hmm. America is a little bit harder to find. And, you know, so of course I'm also looking in newspapers and stuff like that. So I do like a ton, a ton of research, which is one of the reasons, you know, these books don't just fly out you know, for me. Right. It's one of the reasons. I like um, touring, like, you know, when, you know, back in the day when you can fly places, I'd go to back England or castles, but um, my husband will take me around the States and take me to like old manners and stuff. And I just love those tours. Um, and I remember learning the, it's always the bathrooms. It always comes back to the bathrooms, but like they have like this curtain. So you don't know wh- whether the woman's going in to just wash her hands or, you know, do something else. And I mean, I've never found that in a book. I've never found that in research. So, um, there's probably different, I like your different style of, of researching. You don't yeah, just do online. You've got magazines and cookbooks and and probably makes it much more in depth. It is. And sometimes I sort of backwards research where like I'm really into if I can get artifacts of the period, I will. And then backwards research them like you guys could probably see on Instagram. I have a picture of all this jewelry that I recently won in this um, auction, you know, and it has a bunch of Victorian stuff. And so some of it I'm unfamiliar with and I get it and I look it over and I find any markings on it and I look it up and then I can find out if I can use it somewhere in something. something. Yeah, it's something that I how am I going to think to look that up? You know, how am I going to find it otherwise? So, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun to be honest with you. I love it. 
right? So did it's, some it's of kind this of like okay, playing right? around. No, no, that's okay. I'm just, I'm fascinated because like, what a great idea. Like every now and then you get your hands on a piece of something and you're like, man, I just want to know a little bit more about it. And then you go it down into this rabbit hole. And then all of a sudden now you have this opportunity to write about. So cool. I just wanted to know how much of this research and how much of all this knowledge you have in your brain. Um, I wanted to just segue into the D dark Victoriana collection that is coming out where you have, you have some writing in there and how much of that research is in there and, and what people might find in that. There is so much more research than actually goes into the book. Of course you end up with like a huge amount of research and a small amount that goes into the book. But you know, I mean, I have to look up teeny tiny details if I want it to be truly historical, historically accurate. Like there's a section in Anatomy of Dark and Hard. I always mention this as an example of the detail. I have to look up like in a middle-class family, if you have a middle-class household, what kind of wood is it on the floor if somebody has to in that there is a scene in there no spoilers where somebody scrubs the floor and it's an important scene and it's important because the person's really scrubbing at it well i have to know what it's made of what kind of um brush are they using what kind of soap are they using? is it soap like you know all that kind of stuff and then by the same token it's like you know in brotherhood of secrets i have these um lower class guys who are going to this very wealthy man's house and when they first see like this um, amazingly huge bedroom because they're staying overnight it's like you know I have to know what the drapes would look like in that room and what kind of a bed would it be versus middle class or low class what they're used to there's like all these teeny tiny details that take so much to research and I include this much of it in just a few words you know what I mean <laughs> so like you know there was a time for Brotherhood of Secrets where I was convinced that I would have to write all about um how to make a lock because they're locksmiths. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go into detail on this. And I'm like doing all this research and stuff and really getting into the nitty gritty. And as soon as I finished it, I was like, nobody needs to know this. Not a single <laughs> soul needs to know that. <laughs> I obviously, I don't, I don't do a lot of research because that sounds like a lot of work and some skills. Um, but with, with fantasy, you have to do all this world building and you have to know all this stuff in your head, but that doesn't mean it all ends up in the book. And actually, that's true to writing, all writing, because there's no book without a character. And you're going to know all this stuff about a character, but that doesn't mean you're going to be describing it and, and adding it. You just have to kind of know it. And so that's just something about writing in general, although I've never uh, investigated locks. But now I'm very curious. So we'll, we'll, we'll text later and I will learn about the locks. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Everyone wants to know about it. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, especially when someone else does the research for you. <laughs> right. It's so you don't have to do the time. Just teach me the lesson. Just Much teach me, oh, wise one. <laughs> yes. So just before we uh, run out of time, because we could talk to you for years. And yes. uh, um, if, if, we, if we didn't have that time limit, we would. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted you to just describe your podcast in just a little bit more detail. Because there's, well, there's a podcast and a video cast. Right. Yes. So um, we have the writer showcase and then I love this name lurking for legends. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Alliteration. Woohoo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So writer showcase is one that started. I, I can't remember if it's 
two, maybe three years ago. And that's through Mickey Mickelson at Creative Edge. So um, he started this podcast and he made me the host. And it was um, number one on Authors on the Air for a long while. And you guys have been number two, number one as well. So congratulations. <laughs> I've seen you guys come up so many times. It's awesome. So, you know, I used to host that on my own. And now uh, we have split it between a number of hosts so that um, we can all write a little bit more because that was my big problem. When was I going to write? You know, I didn't have time. So now we have multiple hosts, which is really cool. And everybody has a different interview style. And basically, we are talking to authors about their works, about their process, the writing process, um, anything that's relevant right now to what they're doing and what's coming up, of course. And uh, and then Lurking for Legends is when I co-host with um, Richard Stevens. He's an epic, an award-winning epic fantasy author. And that one is very casual. You know, the writer showcase, I do like a lot of classic research. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You know? <laughs> I do a lot of research before I go live with someone. And for um, Lurking for Legends, which is actually named after his cat, in case you didn't know, his, uh, his cat is always lurking somewhere, you know, and she <laughs> on this bookcase above him. So she's always lurking. And so he named it Lurking for Legends. Yeah, exactly. I love that. where my cat is right now. The Writer's <laughs> Showcase will always have a, a special spot in my heart because I think I'm, I'm 99% sure that it was like my first podcast interview. And I was so terrified. And then we just talked about books. And I was like, oh, my soulmate. Oh. It was great. And I felt awesome. I felt very comfortable. And our, the dialogue just went back and forth. And so I'll always have a little spot in my heart. Oh, that makes me so happy. I'm so glad. I remember when I had you on uh, Miranda as well. And you were just like, mm -hmm. I was... I was, I loved interviewing both of you and so much fun to talk about fantasy. That is always a fantastic <laughs> job to interview about. And uh, Miranda, I was just like, boy, this is so easy because you had such personality. I was like, go for it. <laughs> and it was, yeah, so you can just talk. I was, thrilled. I was thrilled. No, no, it's that's what makes a great interview, isn't it? When somebody can just go and talk about yeah. their stuff. So I was like, oh. thrilled, you know? So it's, both of you have been such a pleasure to interview. It's so nice to be on your show. It is, you know what, it, honestly, it's so cool being the interviewee on the other side. Joe, thank you. Hearts <laughs> um, Joe, but, mine was a while ago. I would say like <laughs> three years ago. Something like that, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. But being an interviewee and inter like and, and asking people questions and you know you're like oh my goodness it just refines your skills on both sides now like it's so cool from an author point of view when you start to expand your horizons and the mediums that you play in how much you learn from other people and you know I, I I'll give Mickey a shout out because he set all three of us up on on our journeys to expand mm -hmm. in this little world and. You know, it's it's just absolutely fantastic that we get we get a lot of positivity through this. So, and you're exactly right. I I always also learn so much from the authors that I talk to. I really think it would take me a lot longer to think of some of the ideas that come up with for process and you right. know curbing your perfectionism and things like that. It just feel like I pick up things I never even know I'd need. You know, unless exactly. I talk to these people. Exactly, it gives me a lot of confidence. Because, uh -huh. you know, writing's very solitary and isolating. And I'd be like, well, wait, I'm not a plotter or a pantser. Am I doing it wrong? And then you uh -huh. meet 17 plotters, 17 pantsers, and a bunch in the middle. 
or I write for really short periods of time and everyone else I, I see online is saying they did like a 5,000 word sprint. And then I meet you and you're like, I write for half an hour to an hour. I'm like, oh, it's very reassuring. The stuff mm -hmm. that I think I know when 12 other people agree with me, I'm like, oh, okay. And then the stuff I don't know, I'm like, I'll just write that down. Micro fiction <laughs> is. Lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Okay, so before we go, please tell our watchers and our listeners where they can find your latest work and they can find you on the socials. Excellent. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. The time flew by. I could have sworn it was five minutes. So, 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 great. so um, you can find me at my website, christystratus.com, just my first and my last name.com. And uh, I'm also on Patreon. You can join for just a dollar a month and get almost all of the benefits. It's really just a community for me. So a dollar a month is all it takes. And my latest is The Artist, which is a short story. This is part of the Dark Victoriana collection, but it is a standalone. So you can read it all on its own. It takes place during the Civil War, uh, after the Civil War, Civil War era. <laughs> so, um, you know, it has a veteran and it has an artist and somebody's story isn't right. Somebody is lying in there. Who is it? So that's kind of, uh, you know, a little, just a little verb about it. And uh, thank you. Yes, the artist. That's right. Um, you can find that everywhere. Um, the only thing that I've written that is exclusive to Kindle is The Wrong House. And that one features a notorious uh, fraudster, Dr. C.L. Blood, who is long forgotten to time. So that's a fun one. Um, but yeah, otherwise you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, everywhere. And, uh, and every, every Tuesday you can tune into Richard Stevens or my Facebook pages to watch Lurking for Legends at 8 p.m. on Tuesdays. So yeah. 8 p.m. Eastern time. So thank you so much for having me again. This has been absolutely fantastic. Perfect. Thanks, Christy. We really do appreciate it. And all those links are going to be in the description below. So you'll be able to click there and find her on the interweb. And you can get Thank her you. to proofread your books and yeah, edit them. It. And then you can go read all of her books as well and all her stories. That's mm -hmm. true. You can find my editing company at proofpositivepro.com. Thanks for mentioning that. I had to sneak it in. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just before we wrap up, this this was a great half hour, almost 40 minutes. We uh, We just love you too much to wrap up on time. But we need to thank our show sponsors. So thank you to Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and Creative Edge Publicity with Mickey Mickelson. And of course, the most important, all our listeners and all our viewers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listening to the Quillening Podcast with your hosts, Jenna Green and Miranda O. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Creative Edge Publicity. Copyright belongs to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. You can listen to our podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash authors on the air. Mm -hmm.